Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And I guess Here I don't have to keep are. saying that we're still broadcasting from our at-home <laughs> studio. Let, let's agree, listeners, that I won't say that again until I have something else to say besides the at-home well, studio. You are going traveling this month. Yeah, I hope so. We might actually be in a campground near you if things go the way we expect them we, to go. If we can hold on to the reservation. RVing is still a pretty safe thing to do. So, And we were glad to hear from some of you that you are out there RVing. And we heard from one of you that you wanted to go RVing, and everywhere you wanted to go, the parks were full. So, full? Wow. Yeah. We're out of touch, I guess, because we've just been kind of hunkered down at home. Yes, but... We are doing what every other broadcaster is doing. We thought about canceling the podcast for this month because we have nothing to say. But, in fact, after making the notes out, we actually have quite a few things to talk about. And all the broadcasters are at home. And so we are, too, and we've always been at home. So what the heck, we may as well do a podcast. We're in the flow. We're in the flow. We're ready for August 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Do you know that you're in the middle? Oh, God. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be all over and we would be so able to was everybody. In the fall, but everybody was ready for regular life to resume. Thank you for bringing but... me back to reality. <laughs> so anyway, you're listening to the August 2020 podcast for the RV Navigator. We're very happy to hear from you. And we've had heard from quite a few listeners this month, by the way. So staying at home has been good because uh, you communicate with us and give us a little something to do in answering your emails. Um, of course, you will find all the notes for this episode. Uh, the things we talk about will be on our website. And our website has been dramatically improved. As a matter of fact... Uh, we have increased the number of uh, old episodes old episodes dramatically. Last month I worked diligently on that, on linking all the old episodes up and making sure that should you have some extra time, <laughs> which we doubt that you actually have, but if you have some extra time that you want to listen to some old RV Navigator podcasts, then here you go. You can click and link. And I have also connected us up with Stitcher and Google so that oh. all of our podcasts episodes are listed We're right out there, there in the world for everybody to hear and to listen to. So As you've managed to reactivate many, but not all of the old podcasts. Yeah, it's surprising and you that don't some know of them where they are, went, where they went, some or why they went. Are just plain gone in a dark hole and have <laughs> Out in the ether. Well, they've always been stored on our hosting service, but apparently not. I had to actually upload a bunch of them because they're supposed to back them up and and be our online or uh, cloud service that that is never offline and is always working and. But some of our podcast episodes are just plain gone. Well, this is a big fear that people have about yeah. the technology and new media. All the pictures that you take now are not going to be accessible to your grandchildren because even though they might be there, they'll be in a format that they can't retrieve. Put them on a CD, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same problem. Same problem. 
Whereas the pictures that my grandma took that are black and white and in a photo album are still there, viewable, unless they've discolored or gotten wrinkled or Yeah, but how did you want to view them the other day, digitally? Well, but that's not how she did them. No, but they were there. Anyway, we've tried to digitize all of our pictures, and my project of doing all my videos has been coming along um, so that a couple of months ago I did talk about uh, doing videos, uh, digitizing all my old videos, and I have been diligently working on that uh, during this pandemic summer season. As have apparently many of our um, compadres of a similar age. It's one of those projects that you always say you're going to do, and then you're too busy living your life to do that. But now that we have no lives, <laughs> we have time to uh, re-examine, archive many of our old pictures and podcasts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the theme for this month is Palm Springs. Which is a, an enjoyable movie we saw recently. Yes. It was a new movie. We streamed it. Yes, yes it was a, a it new was, movie. It was meant to go into the theaters, right? But it, it yeah. actually just went straight to Hulu, I believe, where we were able to watch it with commercials. With commercials, yes. yeah. <laughs> we like the streaming services, but boy, Hulu has the audacity to put commercials well, in. Well, for $79, you could eliminate them. Really? That's what it said. Oh, my. <laughs> that's why you didn't. Ain't going to happen about this end, that's for sure. But Palm Springs is an interesting movie because it kind of uh, epitomizes our life. Um, it is about, well, it's kind of um, Groundhog Day for a couple. If you saw the movie Groundhog Day. Which we recommended last month. And yeah. we know that you have plenty of time to watch it, yeah, so there's yeah. no reason not to watch that. Yeah. And that was free. Reliving some version of the same day over and over and over again. And this was a wedding day, and Andy Samberg was the uh, is the male lead, and he keeps living the same day over and over and over. But he lives it in a very dramatic way because he uh, goes off and does crazy things because he knows he's not going to be never injured. Die. So he goes and flies airplanes and does crazy things, and then. His romantic lead comes along with him at some point. And he starts takes, reliving he takes, the day with him. And are we together as we do the same thing? Over every, and over again? Oh. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. So how are you doing after your big... We're now eight weeks into the... Post-surgery for the rotator cuff. Oof. How am I doing? Not very well. Um, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. And from what I read... This seems to be a pretty common experience for rotator cuff surgery, although you can't just talk about rotator cuff surgery because it's a complicated part of your body and many different things can go wrong. So depending on what's wrong with you, you might have a better experience than I am having. But I am gradually regaining my capabilities to do things like brushing my teeth, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um, but I am in constant pain 24-7 and it keeps me from sleeping more than two hours at a time. So I'm I'm feeling like a mother of a newborn who never has a good night's sleep because Ooh. it keeps getting interrupted. Yeah, that's a lot the same, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The reason, of course, why we had the surgery at this time was because we have the time. And it looks like it's going to be a few more months and before, you actually get, before you get back to normal. So we are actually using the time to good advantage. I guess. And we hope that you are, too. Uh, are you home doing your work from home? Probably. And are you listening to podcasts? Maybe not. Probably not. Our listenership is down some, but why? In April, most of the country and the world shut down and every form of media had a dramatic consumption shift. Podcasts, AM, FM, radio, even audio books all went down. Oh, so it's not just us. No. Tiger King went up 
Man, does that seem like a long time ago. It does. Wow. We didn't just lose our commutes. We lost the gym. We lost the lunch hour. We lost some time for crucial listening to many podcasts and audiobooks. Me time. If you thought quarantine was going to give you more me time, you didn't think about the impact of doing 100% on-duty spouse, son, daughter, mother, or father in addition to whatever your job entailed for those of us lucky enough to be still working. Besides, you designed this podcast to be listened to while people are in their RV going somewhere, and maybe there isn't as much of that happening as there had been in the past. So uh, our numbers are down, but we're still here doing the podcast. We really want to hear from you. And several uh, listeners have actually contacted us this month. And (laughs) our oldest gadget, remember uh, my oldest gadget, well, or electronic device was my dad's table saw from the the mid-60s. We had a listener, Dave, who sent in his picture of his 1973 electronic calculator and it was notable because it did square roots <laughs> when was the last time i needed a square root <laughs> and then somebody else sent sent it in cost 125 dollars a sewing machine i forget how old that sewing machine was mid 30s and uh-huh. she's still using it in her in her rv yeah yeah sorry yeah. we lost the uh we looked for the email but somehow it got misplaced well and i'm remembering old sewing machines that you could power them yourself by pumping a pedal um so that might well she talked about it as being electric uh-huh at so least that that's my be... impression uh-huh. but so what old gadget do you still use let us know we're gonna we're keeping track our big activity for this month happened right at the beginning of the month what the fourth of july <laughs> How was your 4th of July? We really like fireworks. I have very fond memories of a festival we went to in Lake Havasu. In the middle of the winter, all the people who manufacture fireworks come to this and put on a big show, and the buyers of fireworks come and see what's out there. And we had fireworks every night for, I want to say, a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was quite impressive. The other one that I really remember was the 4th of July in Colorado Springs, where they did the fireworks to the 1812 Ovid. Sure. Yeah, and they even had cannons Cannon. firing at the end, which was an amazing experience. But our little hometown well, did pretty well this year itself. Well, most of the time, fireworks are you drive your car, you park someplace, you walk with chairs, and then you sit down and watch the fireworks. And then... You wait for an hour in the parking lot uh, to the get back out again. The Albuquerque uh, Balloon Festival ones were very oh, nice, too. Oh, those were, too. Yeah. yeah. We, we've done a lot of interesting fireworks. Oh, and I remember in Hawaii on, the, on New Year's Eve, we were up in a High tower. Rise. And in Singapore, another place we watched fireworks on a tower with our friends. Anyway, this year... Our little town decided to keep everybody at home and safe and not just have them in one place, as it always does, but to fire off identical shows from three separate locations within the town in the hopes that everybody could stay home and see them from their house. We looked up where the closest one was to us, and it was a bit far away, and we weren't sure that the trees would let us see a show well. So we got in the car, stopped at the Dairy Queen, and drove to Walmart Mountain, a little rise overlooking all of 50 um, feet. this uh, community park from the Walmart. From that vantage point, we were able to see all three shows simultaneously 
simultaneously and indeed verify that they all were identical. And they were synchronized. That was very cool. I don't it know how was, they did that. It was. From that multiple was, locations. That was great fun. Because they were several miles apart. And while I'm quite sure that no one else from our town is listening to this, um, I hope they do it that way again next year. And we could watch it from the window of our car. Yeah, we didn't have to go out and get mosquito bites. And when it was over, we just started up the engine and drove away. So that may become the new tradition. I hope so. That was good. Well, I don't know. The old ones are kind of nice where you go out and sit in the... It's not... You don't get a lot of camaraderie. mosquitoes and the kids are running around. Yeah. Yeah. None of that this time. Yeah, nothing social, that's for no, sure. No, that's for sure. Well, as former educators, we are looking <laughs> here in the beginning of August at opening school. Whoa. Can you see a you going back to school? It's hard for me to imagine. I think everybody was hoping that while the schools were closed the in the spring that... The pandemic would be brought under control. Obviously, that has not happened, especially not in our country. And we're in no better shape now than we were when the schools closed back in March. And even though everyone very much is wanting normality and parents are wanting their children to go back to school so they can go back to work, uh, it it appears that for many of us, as the, the counts of the virus are getting higher and higher, that this is a bad idea. There's a lot of pressure on teachers to just bite the bullet and go back and do it and they're all busy writing their wills and worried about bringing it home I to their families. I just don't know what I would do if I would go um, back at this time. There's just no easy answer to this. It's a heartbreaking situation. To me, you have to reduce the pandemic before you can actually have school. And we're going to see very soon exactly how this pans out. And probably next month we will have a full report on education. As a technology guy in the schools for years, I really advocated online education. But it's not the end-all and be-all. I don't think that it is the only kind of education that there is, and certainly you need to have some personal contact with your students at some point. And they with each other. Yeah. So unless there's been some dramatic changes in the way online education is delivered, I don't see that as the real answer. But then again, I don't know what they're going to do. And it lends itself much better to some subjects than to others and some ages rather than others. Now my own pandemic dilemma. Yeah. Recipe planning. (laughs) (laughs) Now that Martha only has one arm. Yeah, this wasn't caused by the pandemic. It's caused by me. Martha's Dilemma. Recipe planning. I now am in charge of three meals a day. There's been a dramatic shift in our menu from (laughs) lots of fish to lots of meat. That we can say with certainty. But I'm learning the necessity of having a location for all of your recipes so that you're well organized. And I found a very interesting app that you might like to take a look at called Paprika. P-A-P-R-I-K-A app. Like the spice. Like the spice. And this app is very nice for keeping recipes. I think there are a lot of uh, recipe-keeping apps, but this one is very nice because it includes a browser, which means that when you put in the recipe URL that Paprika can read it, and it will then extract the uh, recipe and make it into a searchable format. And uh, for the iPad, uh, it's about $4 to purchase the app so that it's quite reasonably priced. And then it will make out meal planning. It will make out... um, 
shopping lists and do all sorts of other cool things in addition to organizing all of your menus and putting them into a standardized format because it reads the recipe and then takes out all the extraneous stuff, the pictures and things that make it so that uh, it's hard to read. And he gave me his password so I can go in there and look up what we're having That's for dinner. That's another nice thing. It, it's clock. <laughs> How do you think I'm really going to follow those recipes? No. I don't think so. It's good to have goals, though. So how much longer do I have to cook? I don't know. Let's face it. I've been doing You're, some things. Yeah, you can put on your bra. No, I've been making coffee cakes for breakfast. Oh. And I help with well, lunch. But the recipes aren't in paprika. Yeah, but so I can't make them. They're not in no. Ooh, that's a new one I'm going to have to say. You can't have anything that's not in paprika. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, you as a cook might want to take a look at this because it makes the recipes all in a standard format that's easily readable. And it, so it takes all these bloggers and, and websites that have – and I've taken recipes from a, a variety of different websites, and it just – click and it makes it into a searchable Import, – Imports them imports and standardizes them. them. Now, a listener wrote us a question. Now, Martha's going to answer it. I don't even understand the question. <laughs> I'm set up in an RV park for a bit. There's a very reliable Wi-Fi signal here. I've just installed a Wi-Fi extender to help me with my Airstream Skin Faraday cage. You understand that? Well, yeah, the Wi-Fi it, doesn't go inside your rig very right, well. So that's he set up a, a that's wi- true for us sometimes, set too. Up a wi- yeah, he set up a Wi-Fi. Well, ours isn't metal, but yeah. But still. I would think, yeah, Airstreams are probably a big problem that way. But So they've set up a Wi-Fi extender outside i've set up a uh, wp2 password protected private subnetwork of my own that connects to the main campgrounds network here's my question am i now secure to do banking etc connections on this subnetwork that connects to the main network or do i still need to tether my cell to be secure for those types of things is a firewall the same thing as a vpn uh no he didn't say firewall. He didn't say VPN either. Oh, I thought he did. No, there was no mention of a VPN. A private sub-network. Yes. That's not a VPN. No. Well, no, it's not. So then he's not secure. No. That's too bad. So the bottom line here... He did here, all that work for nothing. The, the bottom line here is you have to understand about Wi-Fi. Is, is that when you type in a password to Wi-Fi, it just is giving you access to the access point, to the Wi-Fi access point. It's just giving you a link into it. It does not encrypt your data. So neither his private network, even though he says it's private, it still can be hacked. And the connection to the campgrounds Wi-Fi, neither one of those is, is encrypted. So what should he do? This is where you use a VPN uh-huh. if you are really concerned about this. Well, there are a couple of answers to his question. So the, the, the basic answer is neither one of your networks are the least bit secure. They can easily be hacked and By any packet, sniffed, packet sniffed without any problem at all because there is no encryption on either one of these networks. Even though you think you have a private network. He put a password on that. He put a password on, but that only gives them access to the access point. So it limits the computers that can access it. But as soon as those packets are sent through the air, they can be sniffed and read. Now, number two is that um, using his cellular network is okay. Um, it is actually su- substantially more secure, but he's probably going to have Wi-Fi on the other end because you're going to probably put a 
a Wi-Fi uh, access point on the end of your cellular network, like a MiFi or some other device from one of the carriers, but and then that do, Wi-Fi is going to be just as open as any other network. But if you do banking, you end up with the banking secure Wi-Fi on the other end, don't you? Ooh, now this is actually very good. If you use your bank's app, app then they secure it all the way through. And if you are in a situation, my sister who is still working had permission to work at home and the tech guys came to her house and installed some magical stuff on her stuff so she could be secure if you had that kind of a work setup maybe? Ah, uh, yes. Well, there are so there are two or three choices here. One is if you see the HTTPS, that means that it's secure in that the data is encrypted between you and the server at the other end. So that's good. That means that it can't be, it would be very difficult to hack it. Two is, is that if you want more, even more security, then you would use a VPN, a virtual private network, which is extra software that you install on your end, and it connects to servers at the other end, and it encrypts all of the data going between you and your access point. Do you subscribe to VPN yes. services? So it's a monthly fee then, too? Yes, and we have that. Well, there are free ones, but you should never use they're those. They're worth what you pay for them? Because they are very insecure because they're hacking and, and looking at what you're at you're sending. Or at least they have that ability. So we pay for a VPN services. I, I use iVPN, and it's available for Mac, Windows, iOS, Android, everything. So with one account, we, have, uh, we can turn on the VPN at our discretion anytime we feel like uh, we would like to be discreet. And, of course, this is mostly <laughs> when we're traveling. <laughs> Um, I don't feel which we much. don't really need right now at all. <laughs> exactly, don't do it at home. So the only way at home that I have uh, is wired connections. The computer that we're using at this moment is wired, so there is less capability to hack it because there's no signal it's not going floating the air. around. However, you have to understand that Wi-Fi hackability is only about 150 feet or so. So really. You have to have somebody within that distance. But in a campground, you have a lot of a lot of people, so it could easily be hacked if somebody wanted to. Now we had somebody else who was very interested in... Vlogging while they travel. Keeping track of your travels. What do we think? Well, when we first started traveling after we retired, I found myself writing the same email over and over again to friends and family about where we were and what we were doing. And then that was immediately followed up with the, where, where are you where is that <laughs> and so i looked around at what was a fairly limited amount of choices at that point that's a long time ago now and so and how many years ago is it <laughs> it was oh five i think you've been blogging since oh five yeah. holy moses um and settled on my trip journal which you've heard me talk about before and the other thing i would say that i really like about my trip journal is that i stuck with it because whatever you pick it really doesn't become valuable until you have used it for for a long period of time, and it becomes kind of an archive or a memory bank. So I like it because it has the maps integrated into it. Um, when I write a new entry, I put in where I am, and it puts it as a dot on the map. And occasionally we are somewhere that it doesn't have in its database, and I can email them, and they add it, and then it appears on the map. 
Um, I'm also able to upload photos and videos to my trip journal. And as we get older and have been to more and more places, <laughs> it's become a real helpful tool for us in that we don't remember where we were or when we were there. And it saves a lot of arguments if I can just go look it up. That's surprising how many times we've used that. It's if you're a young person and you're starting off now. You think you'll never forget. But you will what year, where you were, what campground, strongly recommend that you do use one of the apps that we're about to recommend to keep track of where you've been and when you were there and what campground you stayed in and the routes that you took and all that sort of good stuff. Martha's blog has just been very, very helpful now to, he's to jog just, our memories. He's just mentioned a lot of things that my trip journal does not do, and that's why I would Doesn't suggest do. to you before you start out that you decide what's important to you in terms of what you want to keep and remember. As I said, I started this as just sharing information about our adventures, and I like writing about things, and I like writing things that are of interest to me or things that I have learned. And so my blog is heavy on the narrative, although I've added more and more photographs over the years. And video. And video. Um, I would say that my trip journal, because it is getting long of tooth, has not kept up well uh, with photographs and videos in terms of quality. Uh, they do have a feature where you can upload every picture you've taken from your camera and store it and get, retrieve it again when oh, you get really? home, which I've never done. Um, but for my purposes, when I upload, especially when we are a little bit far afield, I have to reduce the pictures so that they um, upload properly and the videos even more so and they suffer in quality. So if anyone from my trip journal is listening, I'm sure they are, um, I wish that they would Our vast enha enhance uh, their capacity so that I can put pictures up of a higher quality and videos that are actually watchable because I have to reduce them in size so much. It's like the kind of videos you would send with an email, which to me is hardly worth doing. So it's a little weak now as far as that goes. But when I do my blog, I very rarely write down what campground we're in because I don't care. Um, I might make comments about it if it's very good or very bad, but I figure because I've noted the town that we were staying in, I could probably look it up and figure out where it was we went. I very rarely keep track of the weather or how much we paid for gas. Those things don't interest me, but they might interest you. So it very much depends on what your purposes are in keeping this sort of a journal. And of course, my trip journal has a wide variety of people using it so that you can do searches to see exactly where you're going and what people did while they were there, so, which is a nice feature also. They've kind of pooped out there, too. They used to do a really good job of choosing best of journals, which you could search from. I remember I used a lot of their bests before we went to Alaska to kind of get an idea of where people went and how long they spent there because um, that was all new uncharted territory and it was kind of hard to plan by ourselves. Um, at the time that I was beginning my trip journal, I looked around at what other people were doing and even now many um, RVers that I'm aware of and who I follow sometimes use Blogspot or WordPress. Those are, I would call, more general um, mm -hmm. blogging sites. They're affordable. Yes. They seem to be good at putting up pictures. I don't know if I've seen videos mm, on them or not. not um, WordPress takes videos, too. And they have nice places at the end, as does my trip journal, where your readers can make comments back to you. Um, but they are not designed for travel. travel. Mm -hmm. And some of them cost. I remember when oh, I did... Yeah. 
yeah. or you need somewhere to have it yeah, hosted. Yeah, you have to host it. Oh, and I should also say, my trip journal right now I think costs eighty dollars annually if you don't want little commercial pop-ups on your site, or if you don't mind those and you're cheap, you can do my trip journal for free. So, so that's nice. So, in answering this question, I kind of looked around to see what is available today, and it kind of blew my mind that this, like many areas of technology, has exploded. And I would refer you to www.keepgo.com, which has 15 top travel apps and nice little descriptions of them. And you will see how some of them highlight various features and the kinds of information that people want to keep. And you can choose one that's best for you. It's mytripjournal.com slash Wiseman. Is ours. Is ours. On my side, I use Track My Tour. And Track My Tour is a nice uh, blogging. Well, I don't know if it's blogging, but it's primarily oriented around the map and pictures. So the, what you do is you say in the app, you say, here I am, log this spot, and I can put pictures on this spot, and I can make comments. So that it's kind of an automatic My Trip Journal. It will log any place in the world, and I use it all the time to keep track, and it makes a very nice map, which after the trip is very nice to to show people and to, to have as a souvenir of where you've been and how you got there. I would do it at the airport, and then the trip stops along the way, and it automatically logs where you are. You don't have to say, I'm in London. It just knows because that's where There's your phone a GPS. is. GPS. Because I think I started blogging before that was Probably. even possible. Yes, that's definitely the case. But this is a whole new uh, type of listing rather than having the blogging type of issue. And this is primarily for photos rather than long text like you write. And when you go to the website I, I referred you to, um, you'll see that some of the apps also are designed so that when you get home, you can quickly and easily make yourself a scrapbook or a photo mm -hmm. book that this you can give too. to other people. The problem with apps that try to do too many things in my opinion, is that they don't do enough of them very well. Because now and again, when we've gone on a special trip, Ken has made beautiful travel books, but the uh -huh. the software that he uses is much more sophisticated and the end result oh, is yeah. much more in your control yeah. than it would be from an app. But these will allow you to print and make a nice, what would look like a journal. The other one that I use uh, on a regular basis, uh, on a daily basis, is a Day One Journal. This is an app which has lots of flexibility, and it will locate you uh, in terms of where you make the posting. And it is basically print or typing, um, so it is kind of a journal, but it has the extra characteristics of having uh, pictures and maps and things also being added. Day one is not really for public. It's primarily for personal use, although you can store it on the web. So this is something that you want to consider is do you want it to be a web-based journal, or do you want it to be a computer-based? Which reminds me that my trip journal, you can make it password protected so that only people who uh -huh. you want to read can read it, or you can leave it out there for anybody. And then there's the Google Maps timeline, which is something else you can use. Uh, all of these I will have uh, links to on our episode webpage so that you can make your decisions yourself as well as to the KeepGo website that Martha mentioned. As we're talking, I'm thinking that we haven't mentioned budgeting, which some people like to do as they travel. I didn't see any travel apps 
that were journaly that did that. But that brings you to a whole nother topic, which is all the travel apps for planning that are out there these days could become something that you could archive and keep depending on how you set them up, or you might log things like yeah, what you... we haven't really done that, so I don't know What you spent on things. So we need some, some feedback here. To do. Some people to share with us what you have done so that we can share it with uh, our listeners. So we will leave... Uh, those other details for a future episode. And again, I say... <gasps> we'll have something to talk about next month. Oh, no! And again, we'll I be back. say unto you, whatever you choose, you got to keep doing it. You need self-discipline, or it's just... That's really the like issue. Like the diary I got was in, when, when I was in third grade, which has like five pages of nonsense on them, and then it just kind of petered out. But don't you wish you had a diary from your early years? Yes. yes. So yes. as old people talking to young people, please do some journaling of some sort, just because you'll appreciate it when you get old, and unless when, you die of COVID. And when the next virus comes along and you can't go out Outside, you can sit down and read your journal and remember where you went and how much fun you had. Yeah, I guess we have uh, have done that many times. Ready for a funny story? <laughs> oh, this is a sadder but wiser RV story. An unnamed RVer pulled into a North Atlantic fuel station in Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland, last Thursday. His RV's black tank needed to be emptied. He pulled up into the RV dump station and opened up the lid, hooked up, and bombs away. Another service station customer noticed that the earnest dumper and mentioned it to the station attendant. Why? Because he was dumping into the fuel storage storage tank. tank. (laughs) Which, if you go to gas stations, there is that kind of... It kind of has a similar look. So they had to pump out all the fuel. And his good contribution to it... (laughs) And, of course, I'm going to put up a link to another video that has <laughs> Dad showing his son how to empty the black tank, and he didn't have the uh, stinky slinky on very tight. And, and it came off. says, oh, this is easy, well, no problem, and uh. You know, we're, we tried something new recently. We have a little bit of money, and so we bought a cordless vac. We have a lot of money. All we spend our money on is travel, and we're not going anywhere. So you bought a very nice cordless back. I did, and I bought a second one for the RV because I was very impressed with uh, the capabilities of the cordless back. I've always had one of these Hoovers that, you know, you, you go around and it's powerful and it makes all sorts of noise. You feel like you've done a workout at the health club yeah, by the but time you finished the, uh, the carpets? I spent a few bucks on a cordless one that had, uh, you know, that has the motor and stuff in the handle. Very light, and I was impressed with the brushes and and the thing for doing hardwood floors. That's very impressive. And, of course, our RV has lots of uh, ceramic tile, and this is going to be great for that. For a woman with one arm, it's actually doable. But she hasn't done it. No, but I could. (laughs) See, ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to bring her back into the real world. (laughs) I'm buying her a cordless vac so that she can not have any excuse. After I've had a full night's sleep, you'll see a new woman. (laughs) So now another heavy topic, which always is on people's minds as they're getting into the RV industry. So we're going to have a reboot here. Let's talk about gas versus diesel. Which are you in favor of? Well, I'm a diesel fan because you did so much research before we bought our motorhomes. It was clearly the best choice as long as you could spend the money up front. So we've had uh, a diesel pickup and two diesel motorhomes. And before that, we had a gas pickup, which we used to tow, and 
the reason why I got rid of it was because it wasn't doing a very good job, and it would uh, only take us it to sixty-five miles like an hour. The mountains of Colorado, as yeah. I recall. Let's talk a little bit about gas versus diesel. Some things that you consider. I'm not going to talk about all the technicalities and and things, but there are issues that uh, impact you RVers as you travel, which uh, to me make diesel a really viable choice. And one of the problems that RVers have is is that they are not very familiar with diesels, and so they think they know that cars. They know cars, right? And so they know what they can do with cars and gasoline engines, but they're kind of afraid of of a diesel. A gas coach will have a gas generator, which will have a carburetor, and gasoline can gum them up if the Jenny is not regularly used. Also, spark plugs, etc., which are also trouble spots. Diesels are not subject to these issues by and large. I have nearly 30 years of experience of using diesels, and I have never had any issues with them. A diesel coach is built on a commercial chassis and uses commercial-grade engines and transmissions. They are expected to last a long time. It is true that routine maintenance is somewhat higher. Diesels have a lot more oil to be changed and more filters. On any coach, including gas, it is really hard to get under the coach to work on routine maintenance. At my age, this is a no-no. So I pay for the oil changes, and they cost about $350. But a diesel has so much more torque and runs so much slower than a gasoline engine that it's worth it. Going up a grade, the diesel will turn at a maximum of around 2,300 RPM, and the gas will be turning at 4,500 RPM. And, like I said, commercial grade rather than automotive grade. That's all I can say for now. Is the interval for oil changes between gas and diesel Yes, and what you have to consider here is is that we change the oil at 20,000 miles or one year. And, yes, it does take seven quarts, seven quarts, seven gallons of oil, but I only have to do it once a year. Whereas if you have a gas coach, you probably should change it every three, four, five, six thousand miles. And so you're going to be putting in, maybe, I don't know, maybe. I just had the oil change in my car and it was $125. So, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so those uh, the difference in oil is not really much of a difference and the the lack the, the less time you have to spend doing it you just do it once on the diesel and you're done so that makes a lot of sense to me uh, another thing that that this article mentions is the lower rpms and more torque it's very logical when you think about your engine running and ours runs uh, down the road at about 1800 rpm a uh, gas engine's going to run you at at least 3000 so you have all those parts running all that much more, and they're going to wear so much more. So a gas engine wears out more quickly just because the engine is spinning much faster. And uh, and on those rare occasions when you do have some sort of breakdown or need mechanical attention on the road, I was shocked and gratified to learn that there are so many mobile people out and about keeping all the 18-wheelers that are delivering your Amazon packages to your house going down the road, and they have all the same equipment, knowledge, and skills that they need to keep you going down the road. And that's a big factor which most people don't quite understand. We just had our alternator replaced uh, kind of by in an emergency situation. If you listen back on one of our April podcasts, you'll hear that we had the alternators overcharge and... Uh, was uh, overcharging the batteries, and the batteries almost exploded, and they were getting hot, and so we had to have it on an emergency basis. We had to have the alternator replaced. Now, if you had to make a 
reservation at a Ford dealer or whoever, Chevy dealer or Dodge dealer. Or even at the manufacturer of our motorhome. You have to be like six, seven months out to get a to get a that kind of to get that kind of thing fixed would have been a major hassle. Uh, the the fixing of it would have been a major hassle, but getting it scheduled, you'd have probably had to wait days. Now, what we did is we called a diesel place that handles trucks, and they said, "Come on in." <laughs> And we limped in at uh, 25 miles an hour going down the expressway. We limped into their facility. They're open from 6 in the morning to midnight. And they fixed us after they got the part uh, within eight hours. Two hours, yeah. Now, you try to connect that up with what you would have if you had a gasser. And the gasser would have been, you would have had to go to the regular Ford dealer. And this place didn't handle any gas. So, to me... Repairs on the road are much more viable with a diesel than the gasser. Also, understand that diesels get about 30% better gas mileage. And that's an important factor when you're stopping at the at the uh, gas pump. And these days with our new fuel card, we even get a better discount. You know that uh, if you take a look at the prices of diesel and gas these days, that they're pretty much on par with each other, wouldn't but you say? That can change. We've watched it be it like can a, change both ways, like a teeter totter. The, they seem to be the independent price of, gas of each and, other. and diesel does not seem to be connected to each other. But the bottom line here is is that diesel these days is pretty much the same uh, price as gas, and it rarely is thirty percent higher. So that that would mean it would be on a par with gas. But with our fuel card that we used uh, several times in the in recent past, where we get. 20 and 30 cent discounts on a gallon of fuel that makes it even a better deal but you should also talk about def which is another fluid that we have to add to go down the road yes but to continue this just slightly more our diesel pusher has about eight miles per gallon which sounds terrible but my next door neighbor who had a 35 foot uh, gasser was getting six and a half Big difference. A big difference. So you want to consider that, uh, the the costs, before you actually make a final decision or purchase. And as she said, I see so many people on their posts, they talk about, I want to get one that was uh, pre-DEF, diesel emission fluid. Diesel, yeah. That's what it's about. Okay. Keep the air clean. When they put DEF on in 2012, that meant that they had to put a whole new gizmo on the back of the engine on the, on the, after the, uh, the combustion process. But that actually made the engine substantially more efficient. They got rid of EGF, which is exhaust gas recirculation, and they, EGR, and they made the engine much more clean burning. But so DEF to me, I do have to put stuff in the DEF tank, but I get four or 500 miles to gallon. And you do give up storage space because yes. there's a bay where the DEF tank sits. And these days, if you buy a new one, you have to have DEF. Yeah. Every yeah. diesel engine has DEF. Um, so there are some reasons why you would want to have a diesel coach rather than having just a gas coach. Even though it's more expensive of to course, buy. Yes, having the doghouse in the front, having the engine in the back, of course, are obvious things, but those are definitely things to consider. Our coach is very quiet as we drive down the road. No heat from the engine. It's all contained in the back. But 
overall they're much more expensive but to us you're getting all the truck stuff the air brakes and all the good stuff like that as with many things in life you get what you pay for well i hope you get what you pay for i think it's worth paying for this kind of stuff of course if you have the money so that's really the question Um, another topic that is always surprising to me Uh, i read all of the the posts about electricity issues um and, you know, people can't run their air conditioner. And how many amps do I need to run my air conditioner? And Can I go solar? Can I go solar? And you know, all, all of these issues. Um, although I'm not, I've talked about this at length at other times, I'm going to just talk one thing that I want everybody to go out and buy today. Oh, sure. Only one thing. <laughs> and that is a plug-in voltage meter. And this is a little thing that plugs into your... Uh, just to a plug to an outlet to an outlet and it has a readout of of your voltage so many problems can be avoided if you take a look at that before you start up something and that's power from the pedestal or from your generator well yes it would measure your inverter Mm -hmm. but basically it's to measure the power from the pedestal and i have one even at home i definitely have this one in the rv that after we plug in i look at it it should read on 120 or so or so it can go down but if it gets down to less than 105 or even 110 is kind of it's low. It's time to go out to eat. It's t- well, you don't want to start turning on stuff. And as you are turning on air conditioners and water heaters That's and blah, 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 as you turn these things on, you'll see that voltage go down. And... That's the problem with your coach. It's a problem with the electricity coming into your coach, but it gives you a good indicator of how the power supply is. Power monitoring systems are not going to trip, are not going to give you an alarm if the voltage is reasonably high, but that doesn't mean that your air conditioner is not going to be strained if the voltage is below 110. And I've been amazed that in campgrounds, depending on where you are in the campground, if you're at the beginning of the powering or the end of it, uh, that that can vary greatly. The power, the voltage. Real way to know. And as you turn on stuff, it's reducing the voltage and and people just don't pay attention to what the voltage is. And even at our house here, We've had times when there is a brownout and too many the voltage people are is too, yeah, using on hot days. And you can have a mini brownout within your RV because you've got too many things pulling the power and there's just not enough juice coming out of that pedestal for you to run your RV. So less than $10, it plugs in. Uh, is on all the time. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to switch it on. It just sits there and monitors the incoming voltage, no matter what the source. And if it doesn't read above 110, you need to kind of check and see and don't turn anything else on if it's if it's low. A device so simple, even an electronic network like me can understand it. Okay. I'm not real sure about that. <laughs> you understand, but you never look at it. I do when I can't cook. <laughs> when the microwave and the stovetop and the and the yeah. convection oven are on. I she, think, what could be wrong? Do you tow a toad four wheels down? Yes. And what kind of a toad do you tow? A Jeep. 
And why do you tow a Jeep? Because it's so easy to put into the towable mode, which many cars are not. You know, the easiest way to tow a car is four down, and you, we buy a tow bar, and you hook it up, and it takes about three or four minutes to make the connection to the motorhome so that your toad can be towed. And we don't have to deal with a dolly when we get to the other end. Now, the question is, what cars can be towed four down? And frankly, there are, it's a limited number. Jeeps are pretty easy because they have a transfer case. If you have a vehicle that has real four-wheel drive, not all-wheel drive, but four-wheel drive, that has a transfer case that you can put in neutral, you can tow it four wheels down. If you have a manual transmission, you almost always can tow them four wheels down. Other ones, it depends. And sometimes you have to do things like pull a fuse or do something special. You, have to, you can tow it for two hours before you have to start the engine. Uh, but no Toyotas, for instance, can you tow and many other vehicles you can't tow so what do you do if you want to tow a towed four wheels down that's not, not on the list to, uh, that's to, not on the approved list well a company called remco has for a long time put out a pump that will circulate the transmission fluid while you are traveling and keep the, the things lubricated because the biggest problem is when the rear wheels are turning there's no lubrication on a automatic transmission so some transmissions that's a problem and some of them it's not and for many cars it is a problem so you buy this pump and you have it installed and it circulates uh, transmission fluids so that things are are uh, lubricated ah unfortunately remco is going out of business and not going to be selling these pumps after september of this year do we know why no oh but this is a kind of a blow to the RV market, I would say, for those people who do want to tow their non-towable vehicle and they want to have an alternative uh, system. So if you are thinking of getting a new vehicle... <laughs> get one you can tow. Well, not only that, but get one if you're going to use Remco. You better hurry up and do it because uh, this is not going to be available to you much longer. And thank you to Doug for letting us know about that. So at the end of this month's podcast, we'll talk about states with the worst drivers, which we wouldn't know about because we're great drivers. <laughs> you are. Mississippi ranks worst for the third straight year. Mississippi drivers take the rear for the third. Who put, who put up? Where is this research coming from? Smarttacit.com. And Massachusetts performs the best. Are they an insurance company? I don't know. Uh-huh. But there's a website I'm going to refer. Actually, all many of the southern and southwestern states are in the bad range. But Illinois, we're great. How are you as a driver? Mediocre. <laughs> well, at least you admit it. At least I only, now I only have one arm, so that makes... <laughs> you, have, you did start driving this month, yes, didn't I did. you? Yes, I did. But that puts you in the safe driver category? It puts me in the Mississippi <laughs> category. <laughs> We got one more email that we forgot to address with a person asking what I thought was a very good question. They are about to retire and are contemplating a fairly lengthy trip in their RV with the idea that they are going to research where they're going to buy a new home and get rid of their old one. Uh -huh. And they thought that doing exploration by RV would be a nice way to do the research. 
which I totally agree. No, uh, no, they're not buying an RV house. You have to um, be in an area for a while to really feel and know that this is an area that suits you and your kind of people live there and the activities that are done there are the things that you enjoy doing. But then the second part of her question was, um, can you tell us a route so that we don't un- encounter bad weathers and bugs and things like that? And I think... It's very important before you buy a house in an area that you stay in that area long enough to encounter the bad weather and the bugs because that's what you're going to be dealing with. Whenever we are at our Florida lot um, in Titusville in February, the sky is blue, the temperatures are uh, nice and warm, it's kind of a bucolic not, feeling, and, and I find myself looking around thinking, hmm, wouldn't it be nice to buy a home here? There are many nice homes in our campground resort. But we've had the misfortune of being in Florida at our like campsite in both, July. both in June and in September, October, and our knees buckled with the heat and humidity, and I and know very well that I could not stand to live in Florida year-round. That's me. Those are my my issues. But if I was going to buy a house, I would want to experience an area for all four seasons to see if it was really a place where I want to sink down some roots. Even now with our campsite, uh, we knew when we bought it that we would never spend the summer there. And and that was uh, a far smaller investment than buying a home and really relocating. But I am a real strong advocate of getting to know our beautiful country with an RV at a slow pace and really learning about various parts of the country and seeing if there are some others that are better than where you're living now. Yeah, and I think part of the issue with her trip is that she needs to understand that January and February are pretty much non-travel months because you just can't depend on the weather in any part of the country to be really good, maybe California, but even then you have rain. So you need to find a place to stay for two months at least, and then you follow the 70s, realizing that every part of the rest of the country has a bad season. Which bad season do you not want to experience if you're going to be in an RV? Like us, are tired of the cold. Some people can't stand the heat. It it depends on you. Yep. There are lots of places to go, and uh, it just depends on on what you put a value on in terms of where you want to put down your roots. Do you want rural? Do you want urban? We certainly like the city life, (laughs) which we have not been able to enjoy at all this year. So with that, we will say... See you next month. And if you're going to be at the Indiana Dunes State Park sometime we, in August, we might we, be there. We will hopefully be there for three or four nights as we test out the RV to make sure that it is still working. And that's another thing. You need to kind of use these RVs every once in a while just to make sure that everything still works and to keep it in good shape. And with that sound advice, ooh, you get the double meaning there. Oh, ha ha. <laughs> So with that sound advice, we will say adieu and hope to see you in a campground near us. Sooner or later. Yeah, probably much, much sooner. Much sooner? Yeah, maybe much, much later. Later. Later.